Welcome to Creating a Family, talk about adoption and foster care. I'm Dawn Davenport. I am the host of the show as well as the director of the nonprofit creatingafamily.org. Today is the second in the two-part Adoptions in 2022 series we are doing. Last week, we talked about adoption options in 2022. So if you didn't capture, if you didn't listen to that, make sure to go back. It was a terrific show. And today, we're going to be talking about the shifting realities of adoption and fostering in 2022. We will be talking with April Dinwiddie. She is a transracial adoptee, as well as a thought leader in the field of adoption. She is the host of two great podcasts, one, Navigating Adoption, and the second is Born in June, Raised in April, What Adoption Can Teach the World. I think you are really going to enjoy this discussion. I know I am certainly looking forward to it. Welcome, April, to Creating a Family. Thank you for having me, Don. It's wonderful to be here. I am truly looking forward to this. You and I have tried to connect, and it's amazing to me. I don't know that we've actually met in person. I I think we I, I we we talk we we go to the same conferences, so maybe we have. You are the source of a great source of embarrassment for me. You probably don't remember this. I this was quite a few years ago. We had actually scheduled a time to meet. I had meetings in New Jersey. I had rented a car and it was sometime late afternoon. You and I were going to meet in New York. And I, as a friend, this is such a rookie mistake. I, I think it was a George Washington bridge. I am not from the New York or the New Jersey area. And so I checked my time and knew how much time I had. I added time because I knew that I had to park. So I was just going fine. Got on the George Washington bridge and it stopped. I mean, it completely stopped. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, I've got plenty of time. I added time. I did not move. I did not move. Now, there was a wreck. However, my friends in New York now tell me that I think I probably left at three or something. And they were like, there's always a wreck on the George Washington. You never leave. (laughs) You never cross at that time. And I was like, well, that's not what Google Maps told me. Anyway, fortunately, and, you know, as a person who really does take pride in making certain that I'm on time and Yes. All that type of stuff. So anyway, I I I hope I my memory is that some I called somebody. I didn't have your phone number either, and I was like, "What am I going to do?" I called uh, somebody at, at creating a family who did have your. I think I hope they. I hope that you weren't sitting there waiting at the coffee shop for me. I'm sure you were not, but <laughs> we worked it out. Yeah. We worked it out. But we never made it. It never happened again. So anyway, and and uh, talk about a rookie mistake. So this is our opportunity. So I am so looking forward to this. So the title is Shifting Realities in Adoption and Fostering. And so let's start by but what, what are some of the shifting realities that you see as someone who works in this field? Well, I think one of the big, big shifts that I see is more adopted persons, those who spent time in foster care and or have that experience in both foster care and adoption as the as the adopted people or the former foster youth, we're speaking out. We are having our voices heard. You're having me here on this podcast. It's a it's a wonderful thing. So often we have seen professionals or parents with the mic, as we say, Mm -hmm. right. Telling that story. We still see that happening a lot, but there's so many of us who are like, Oh wait, we're over here. We have something to say. And, And many of us are indeed moving into the professional realm of adoption and foster Mm -hmm. care as having that experience ourselves. So I see a lot of 
lived experience, however you want to phrase that, those Mm -hmm. of us who have the experience of being fostered or adopted that are in the mix from a professional standpoint. And I think that is really a, a game changer. I think that's one thing. Another thing I think is happening that is, is urgent and happening in, in, in ways that I think signal that there is a will and a a need to sharpen the skill around diversity, disproportionality of race in foster care and adoption. And what I mean by that is an over-representation of black and brown children in the foster care system Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. a real data and statistics will show us that also black and brown children take longer to be adopted. There's Mm -hmm. all these factors. And I, I do feel like there is a, an attention being paid not nearly enough, but I do think that is shifting and it's about time and I'm all for it. And Mm -hmm. I certainly will do everything I can do to make sure that that skill meets the will of folks that really do want to see change. Not everybody wants to see change, but some do. And those who do, I I hope that they really do lean into what they need to know as professionals to help make changes in in that area. Yeah, I agree with both of what you just said. The focus of National Adoption Month was on, they didn't call it shifting the script, but but that was a couple of years ago, but the but focusing on hearing the voices of lived experiences in our field. And, and I couldn't agree with you more. And, and then moving to the your second point about the over-representation of, of Black, Indigenous, and children of color in the, who come into the system. This is Predominantly, would you say this is predominantly through the foster, or do you think through domestic infant as well? The best data we have is in foster care and adoption yeah. through AFCARS, right? So that's yeah. the best data we have, and that, that's the only good problem. data we have. <laughs> that's, right. that's the best. It's the only good data. You're absolutely right. So it, it's certainly primarily through foster care that we see the disproportionality of of Black, Brown, and Indigenous children entering care, and and further to that. Um, staying in care longer. Yeah. So we do know now there, I think there's a, there's a number out there that's like 40% of even domestic infant adoption are transracial. Right. But again, that data is, and I would say, you know, when it's obvious that there's a racial difference, I think every adoption is transcultural. So there's no mm-hmm. two families culture that are mm-hmm. exactly the same. So I think when we think about race and culture, we, we have to link the two things together and really think about how to level up as parents and professionals to meet the cultural needs mm-hmm. of ch- children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. Do you think that the the Family First Act, which for, for the audience, you've heard us talk about it, but I will remind you, it was an act that was passed in, I think, February 2018, which seems like a long time ago, but in fact, is just now really beginning to be implemented, at least where what we see is that just now kind of, of trickling down, not to the state, to the state, but also to the county and parish level. But do you think that the one of the impacts of, of the Family First Act, and I'm you know this, I'm aware, but I'm telling you, saying it for the audience, one of the impacts for the Family First Act is a greater emphasis on placing children with kin, with kinship families. Do you think that will have an effect to, I'm not sure that would have an effect on reducing the number of children of color coming into the system, but do you think it will have an effect on how quickly they are getting placed in permanency? Potentially. Look, family systems are complicated, right? And <laughs> when you have, <laughs> to say the least, when yeah. you, when you, when you have some crisis in a family, there there can be complicated factors that make make a placement 
a, a little bit longer of a journey, right? That said, I, I do think that the best thing that we can do is to keep children in their families of origin. One, really be thoughtful about why we're removing children and 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 to what degree that is based on race, culture, and class. And and economics. Yes. Yeah. yes. It's, it, poverty, it's, it's so, uh, neglect and poverty uh, can be so often confused. Yes. They sure can. And we've, we've a real problem that. So that's not what this podcast is about, but when we think about what happens when we have removed children and trying to find a, a, a stable, loving and permanent option for them and, and one that meets their cultural needs, I do think Ken is, is, is the, is the best, the next best thing if that works and is safe for the child, right? Mm-hmm. That does not mean it's necessarily going to be quicker. Those family systems sometimes need our support and work Very to, 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 to really embrace this new relationship of raising a child that is, that is connected to you biologically. So I, I think we have to resist the urge of, oh, those families need less from us. Then in uh, some ways they yeah. may need, they, they may need just as much or, or, or more. more. I, and we give them less. We're in the middle of uh, a project right here with creating a family with uh, listening sessions for grandparent or other kin families. We're literally halfway through. We've, we're having a total of six and we've just finished the third one. And uh, it is so very clear. I think they absolutely need more support, and including financial support. And, and oftentimes they're getting less. And then the response is, well, they should become foster parents. Well, that's also really complicated and not also in the best interest of the family or even the best interest of the child. So it's, uh, yeah, I could not agree with you more. And your point is well taken that the the emphasis of family family first is family preservation. So before we jump to placing kids with kin families, the whole goal is to look at the family of origin and support them where they are so that the child doesn't have to be removed. Now, we both know that there are situations where that's not going to be possible, but more that there are many situations where it could be possible. So rather than giving the money to foster family, or even kinship family, although they receive less generally. But rather than do that, finding the services that the family of origin needs so we can keep those kids in their family. That's that's yeah. where the emphasis. And I think it's just too early to tell. What do you, what's your thoughts? I think it's too early to tell as, as well. And, and I, I'm so glad that that is the, that is the centerpiece of, of this of this work um, and in the in the law and legislation and now coming down into policy and, and what's really happening. I think the thing that I always say there's those laws, policies, practices, and people, right? You can have a law, you can have a policy, you can have a practice, then you have individuals that really do need that training, that ongoing conversation about how do you hold family, how do you value uh identity related to culture? We have to really work with the professional environment to say what needs to shift in how we come to do this work, um, both when we're preserving families and not separating them. And then once we create a new family, what are we doing to support that family? It's so individual that I think that's where we we talk a lot about law and policy and practice, but we really have to talk about individual personal operating systems of the people in charge of yeah. doing this work. Right. And that's why yeah. I heard you say listening sessions with with kin, with kinship families. Right. L- listening to what is happening with families that are being impacted by foster care and adoption, whether they come voluntarily into that space or they are in that space 
mm-hmm. because they uh, find themselves there, not by choice, listening to those families and and mm-hmm. um, and then obviously the children that that are entrusted with those families. That is so vital because mm-hmm. we can have the law and the policy, but if we don't understand this real human work, we're never mm-hmm. going to advance it the way we need to. Well, and they're the ones who they are the ones who understand their needs more. And if you're trying to meet somebody's needs, you need to you have to ask what their perception of their need is, because let's be honest, they know it. Talk about lived experience. They're in the midst of it. So we do have to live to them. But another thing about the people part, and I like how you divided up law policy uh, and then and people, the other people that I think that we see more we have a, a more of a grassroots presence and and that is the on the on the 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 people on the ground on the county level or on the agency level who are actually implementing your law and your policy getting them to shift i mean and and in fairness, you know, we have had a different policy in the past, you know, starting in the 1990s, there was a big push to get children into permanency, you know, push towards adoption. So this is a shift. But I do think that that is a whole, see, getting the, getting the perception shift for the person who is walking up, knocking on the door, that's a, that's a harder thing. And I think it's, at one point, I was frustrated when I thought this law passed in 2018. Okay, <laughs> this is 2021. Why are? We? But I think that it's that's just how it has to be. The law comes down, comes down to the state. The state has to have implementing regulations. Then that has to get pushed out to the county. But the next step, it seems to me, is that we've got to do some education on the on the boots on the ground people to help them understand that this is not just policy coming from on high. It's actually policy based in a fair amount of research and and wisdom. So I don't know. That's probably a more depressing topic. We have to have hope. Look, we have to we have to have hope. I mean, there's it's just too important. It's just too urgent to be thinking about how we level up for children. I, I always try to find that. It's hard some days try to find that yeah. hope, but I always try to, I always try to. And I think it exists. I can't tell you the number of the people who are boots on the ground that we work with or talk with, or, and honestly, the number of families. One of the questions we're asking at the listening sessions is what's working for you. And that's been enheartening. I mean, there's a lot that is working. And, and even talking with the people on the ground who are, you know, the professionals who are doing the hard day-to-day work, you know, there's so many good people. So, I mean, there, there, there are some who are bureaucrats in the worst way, but there are some who are absolutely doing the right work. Hey guys, let me pause for a minute. Do you know about our free online courses? Thanks to the Jockey Being Family Foundation, we now have, get ready for it, 12, 12 free courses available for you to listen to on our creatingafamily.org's online parent training center. The short link to get there is bit.ly slash JBF support, and you can see all 12 courses, uh, like how trauma impacts a child's development. That is just one. Each course comes with, or each one hour, they all come with certificates of completion. You will likely be able to use it if you have continuing ed needs. So pop over there to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash J-B-F support. Thanks. Well, let me shift to another shifting reality, and that's been a big one, uh, and that is the precipitous decline in international adoptions. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that that is 
I think no one thinks it's going to reverse. But anyway, but nonetheless, what do you think? What are your thoughts on that and how it's going to impact adoption and fostering in the U.S.? Well, we've had some real challenges with intercountry adoption in this in this world, right? We've we've had a lot of we have quite frankly criminal behavior that has happened related to uh, intercountry adoption, and so I think the what we're seeing is some some calibration of in country options for children, right? Trying to keep children in their countries of origin, which is which is a laudable goal and important. And I think we're also seeing politics play out as we often do in international elements and with adoption being one yeah. of those things that comes into play. Um, it's an easy uh, sort of target, if you will, uh, for for political negotiation, I guess you would mm-hmm. say, or or political power moves. But but ultimately I, I I I hope what has happened as as things have declined is we become more thoughtful about how we do it, right? Whether that's finding in-country options for children, whether that's making an inter-country adoption plan and really looking at all the factors that impact a child who is moving from a culture usually with 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 some severe trauma attached to their beginnings in life. So I think it's an eye opener. I think we have to shift the conversation from, oh my gosh, we can't get babies here internationally like we used to. Like uh, that's, you know, it's not about really the parent need. It's really about the mm-hmm. child need. And and that conversation I always hope continues to shift, but it's a, it's a tension, right? There's tension there, but mm-hmm. right to be clear, mm-hmm. but I, I, look, I, I hope that what it's, what that drop in the numbers is doing is giving people a, a moment to pause and say, what was really going on? Who are we really serving and how do we continue to level up when we're doing intercountry adoption to make mm-hmm. it at the highest level of, mm-hmm. of humanity possible? But I, I get it. I think there's, I think the headline for a lot of folks is, why can't we get babies from other countries? And that's just not the conversation I think we need to have. I don't, I, I honestly don't hear that. I will tell you the truth that we haven't been getting babies. Well, you know this, but we haven't been getting babies for oh, years and years and years and years and years. And I, we tell people that all, all children adopted internationally, they look very similar to children in our foster care system. Children enter state care the world over for the very same reasons, neglect and abuse and poverty. And those are the same reasons and the same traumas and sometimes worse, and as well as medical special needs. So, yes. you know, I don't hear people uh, talking about we want to get babies. Now, I will say that that was probably the case 15 years ago. Well, even more than that. Well, yeah, about 15 years ago, people were still hoping that that was going to come back. But generally... Extended family, extended community can step in to care for babies. So that's really yes. that will never that will never be an issue it, it, to me. That's not how I don't think it will ever come back if, if it does. I just want to pause there and say this: that what I'm what I'm talking about really is a more broad understanding of it, right? So you you talk to people outside of the field, right? Mm-hmm. That's the refrain, right? If you, oh, if you well, you may be right so there. I'm talking yeah. about Right. It's a more yeah. broadly yeah, I can um, see your held idea mm-hmm. of that. Now, when we get in closer to it, I think there's definitely evidence of that shift many mm-hmm. years past mm-hmm. moving towards older 
children, children with special needs. That is in the data. We know that, and that is in the trend, but, but broadly speaking, and that's the stuff, the perception shift of the more broad holding of adoption period, Mm -hmm. the layers of it, how it happens, intercountry, foster, domestic infant, all the things we, that's the, the broad perception shifts are the things that do a little bit of harm to our work because sometimes the people doing the policy aren't in that, or oftentimes they're not in the close and they're in that broad view. We just need to get the babies. So that's, I wanted Mm -hmm. to differentiate my sort of holding of that. That's a a very good point. You are exactly right. The people who come in, and actually we do see a little of that when people come in, we often meet people at creating a family when they are coming, they join our community when they're first thinking about adoption and they don't know much. Uh, And it's our mission to educate them on what their options are and things like that. And it's certainly by the time that is certainly what we are educating them on. And I don't know, I think at this point, you're exactly right though. The general populace is still remembering when you could get a three month old from China or Guatemala and, you know, and healthy, uh, and you didn't say air quotes around the word healthy, but a healthy three month old or, you know, from you're right. Yeah. And that, that's, that ship has, has, has sailed for quite some time. If you have enjoyed this or other creatingafamily.org podcast over the years, we have a favor to ask. Please go to ratethispodcast.com slash creatingafamily and leave us a rating and preferably a review. It is super simple and it helps us reach others who benefit from the information that we share. That is ratethispodcast.com slash creatingafamily. And thanks. A big change that uh, I know that you see and have have spoken and written about is for domestic infant, well, and as well as foster adoptions, uh, is the move towards openness. I have looked for a while to try to get a. I'm not sure there is a good statistic on this because I don't think there's a good definition. Uh, we don't. We all aren't working with the same definition of what we mean by open. Mm-hmm. But what what stat do you use for what percentage of? And let's let's distinguish now and 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 speak only of uh, domestic infant adoptions. Yeah. What percentage do you use? for what percentage are open or do you, or is that a fool's mission? <laughs> well, it's, we talk about data, right? It's so hard to get this, the, the, to understand what's really happening you, to your point as well, Don. it's, it's what is the definition, right? Yeah. What is the definition of openness? We'll, we'll we can kind of dig that in, dig into that a little bit, but what, when, when I was at the Institute, the Donaldson Adoption Institute, we would say like something like a high nineties and the high nineties mm-hmm. domestic agencies, domestic adoption agencies were transacting open adoptions, like in the high nineties, like this is, you know, most agencies today meeting the needs of, of families of origin, right? Families of origin are coming to the table and say, I'm not going to relinquish if I don't have contact, Mm -hmm. right? So this is a new, if we talk about it in that sense, I don't like to talk about it in terms of market, but we we sometimes have to, to to get it to land the plane. It's like, there's a different, (laughs) there was a different market, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, In adoption. And again, I don't like that next to children and, and families, but people are showing up in a different way to say, I I want contact. I want to know. And, and that's so, so there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a strong sense that many agencies, most really are in some ways meeting the needs 
and the and the and the outlier is usually the 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 expectant parent, the expectant parent who is eventually the the, the woman who would give birth. That expectant parent who shows up and says, I want to completely close adoption is the outlier. Mm-hmm. That is the outlier these days. Most many would like some form of contact. That said, the transaction of all that's one thing. The transformation of that, how we move through that as human beings is a whole nother thing because that is a level of relationship engagement that is so intricate and so fraught and so hard, but also possible. But we, what we have, haven't done effectively, I don't think, is to help the parents, all the parents, really understand their role, their, their identity as, as part of this extended family, and how they have to do their work to be in right relationship in order to make this a, a healthy relationship for the child. We, we haven't done that deep relationship work. We like to talk about openness, but we really haven't dug into to say, what's it going to be like when you're all sitting around a holiday table? Can you do that? When when we say, oh, uh, my parents were, my parents were so and are still this way. And I challenge them on this and I talk about my parents. I love them. They love me. It's all amazingly good. And there were some things that needed to be better. And when we talk about this idea of at the holiday, oh, our 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 doors are open. Our please come and have a seat at our table. We have enough. We have more than enough. Everybody's welcome. But I would my family of origin be welcome at this table? When you say that, is are, is everybody really welcome? And who's going to walk through that door that's mm-hmm. going to make you feel uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. So those are the types of real-time conversations and trainings and, and, and role plays that we have to do with parents. If we're going to talk about openness, we've got to do the deep work of creating relationship to openness. And I, that's harder. And we as professionals have to give better support for both families after the fact, because we run a large online support group. Everybody out there probably knows Facebook creating a family. Please join us. And we get questions all the time on how do I navigate? It's a messy relationship. It's complicated. You're coming, you're, you're almost always changing cultures, oftentimes changing socioeconomic. And it's just, it's complicated. And it, and, and not only, it, it, it talk, can you even imagine a more complicated relationship? I mean, it's I really can. hard to, yeah. I can, guess so, what, um, in-laws, in-laws, in-laws. Well, generally, yes, in-laws. but sometimes those you have more in common with, potentially. And it's sometimes. not as, yeah, sometimes, yes, but I'm speaking, generally speaking, I think that the open, and and we also, I think, offer more support to families figuring out how to. There's that you have more. You can complain about your mother-in-law, and people will shake their head and understand. If you complain about your child's mom, birth mom, you don't have that. That that. And families are navigating complexities, yeah. and I don't think we as professionals walk alongside them after the placement to help them. Yeah figure out how to handle some of these relationships. Right. Yeah. You know, look, it, it, it's not the same, but it's it's the closest thing I can think of to get people in the spirit of, I can do this. Yes. And I can do that in the spirit of, I may not like where they go to dinner or or how their house smells. I mean, all these different things that you may not <laughs> like about this, like some big things, some little things, or the way they operate or how they talk about politics. But you know what? You show up, you put up, you put your best face forward because their you family love. Well, you love that person. 
It's mm-hmm. about that's loving, right? Mm-hmm. It loving is when you stretch and you say, "Ugh, I really don't want to have to go and listen to that." And by the way, I'm I'm emotionally triggered because every time I go, my mother-in-law compares me to someone they don't like very much or something, you know, all these things, but you show up and work on that relationship because you love your partner because you love that person. So mm-hmm. I think it's, for me, it's like the closest thing we can, mm-hmm. we can, because Don, what I would say is we have, we have created this, this really almost unattainable connection through open adoption that just seems too hard. We've cre- we, we forget our, all our other relationship skills when we come into a relationship around adoption mm-hmm. and, and what we can do to level up. We forget. We're just like, we can do hard things. Mm-hmm. We just need that support and help and to be reminded of the hard things that we, that mm-hmm. we can do. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I, you know, yeah. it's a start, you know, we, it, sometimes mm-hmm. people go, oh, I didn't think of it that way. I'm like, oh, now let's go deeper, right? Yeah. Let's and go let's go deeper. Even deeper level. We have a, a, we call it the slightly annoying grandmother rule, and it is similar to that. It's like your grandmother may annoy you. She may have habits. She may do things. She may say things, but you value that relationship. So you keep connected because you value the relationship and you're willing to put up with the fact that she's not perfect. And hey, newsflash, neither are we. Guys, I want to thank one of our longest sponsors, our longest partners for the Creating a Family podcast, and that is Hopscotch Adoptions. They are a Hague-accredited international adoption agency placing kids from Armenia, Bulgaria, Croatia, Georgia, Ghana, Guyana, Morocco, Pakistan, Serbia, and Ukraine. They specialize in the placement of kids with Down syndrome, as well as other special needs. They also can help you if you're trying to do a kinship adoption, an international kinship adoption. They place kids throughout the U.S. and offer home study services and post-adoption services to residents of North Carolina and New York. Thank you, Hopscotch, for your long support. So tell me about the podcast, Born in June, Raised in April, What Can Adoption Teach the World? And I particularly am interested in the What Can Adoption Teach the World part. But first, start by telling me in a little bit of time we have left about the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I want to talk to you about another podcast to navigating adoption um, brought to you by, uh, presented by Adopt, uh, Adopt US, US Kids. Kids. That's Absolutely. A, yeah, that's a yeah, great was, one too. So I'm, yeah. I'm in the podcasting world. I'm so excited. Yeah. Let's and move to both of this, those. Exactly. Yeah, let's do it. Right. So I um, was inspired to do this podcast uh, by my cousin of origin, my first cousin who I met in the last eight years. And uh, this woman is amazing and I have beautiful connection with her. And so she's like, April, you have a really a lot to say. You should have a podcast. I was like, okay. <laughs> I have come, I, the born in June, raised in April part is real simple too. It's real simple and complicated. My mother of origin named me June Elizabeth. My parents of origin, when they just found out they were getting me as a foster to adopt and adopted me, they changed my name unknowing, didn't know that I was already June Elizabeth, but they changed my name and decided on April Elizabeth. Hmm. And so, and I'm born in October. So <laughs> Born in June, raised in April is my full holding of my names, right? Um, And and it's perfect and I love it. And it has been a real centering piece for me. And what also happens with that sort of looking at the names and neither one of my names being the month I'm born got me thinking very much about the calendar and how we as adopted persons or members of this extended family of adoption experience the calendar in a different way. Mother's Day, Father's Day, birthdays. There are layers within 
our experience with the calendar. So I take the calendar, I deconstruct it. I, I we, lead, we lead into these deep conversations about identity, how family comes together. We, you know, we just came, we're, we're just came off of Thanksgiving and we talk about that Thanksgiving day table, not matching your family that's, that's around that table. And, and what we need to do to prepare as parents and professionals to really meet the practical day-to-day needs. So born in June, raised in April does all of that. We deconstruct the calendar. We have guests, we, have a great, we have great conversation and um, sometimes a lot of fun, uh, but it's deep. It's deep. Uh, so that has been a joy. And once I started podcasting, I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. Uh, not so bad at it. Um, and I, I have been, I've been doing several others. And one of them I really love is Navigating Adoption yeah. presented by Adopt US Kids. Yeah. Awesome podcast. I it love it. Awesome podcast. It's, all the lived experiences of those who have adopted and and been adopted, you know, from from an older youth perspective. So the best part of that about that podcast for me are the young people, the young adults that 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 are that are there in conversation with me. And it's such a joy and quite frankly a privilege and an honor whenever I'm around family, but families impacted by adoption and foster care. But most importantly, the young people. They're just so they're they're our guides. They they're our guides. Mm-hmm. And and so the focus of, and by the way, everybody, you can get both Navigating Adoption as well as Born in June, Raised in April on any of your podcast apps, just type in the names and you can subscribe there. So the Navigating Adoption is primarily amplifying voices, the lived experiences of adoptees and uh, former foster youth. Yes. Yeah, 100%. And it, it, it just was really well done and very, very well thought out, which, which is so important because you have, we have people, real human beings that have had a journey. And so I've, I'm always so committed to holding space for those sacred conversations. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to say it. Absolutely. Uh, we have been sharing the throughout our network, the uh, navigating, Ado- navigating adoption podcast, and we will also Start sharing born in June, raised in April. Thank you so much, April Dinwiddie. I have been looking forward to this. This has been a pleasure for the audience to get more information about April. She is a speaker. She's a trainer. She can do so many things. You can go to her website, which is fortunately her name, aprildinwoody.com. And Dinwoody is D-I-N-W-O-O-D-I-E. Thank you so much, April, for being with us today. I truly appreciate it. 